BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. As the pandemic drags on, long gone are the days when people proudly presented their new sourdough loaves or regrown green onions on Instagram. We're in a marathon here, and maybe there's something to be said for just getting by. We'll be joined by cookbook author and San Francisco Chronicle home cooking columnist Jessica Badalana to talk about lunch and the long game of pandemic cooking. But first... We'll check in on some of the important bills that Gavin Newsom has recently signed into law and a few still sitting on his desk. That's coming up next on Forum after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Governor Gavin Newsom has until October 10th to sign or veto the stack of bills on his desk. For an update, we'll talk about some of the bills he signed into law, including drug sentencing reform and the nation's first ban on non-consensual removal of a condom during sex. We'll also look at a few of the hotly contested bills still waiting on a decision. I'm joined by Katie Orr. She's KQED's politics and government reporter. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks for having me. Well, this is always such a busy time of year as we figure out what bills are going to become laws. And maybe we can start with SB 73 about uh, new drug sentencing reforms. What's going on there? Right. This bill um, ends mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug crimes. Um, so this is a part of a, an effort we've seen in California over the years to lighten up some, uh, again, nonviolent sentencing in an effort and an effort also to, um, you know, just kind of right the wrongs of the past drug wars that has really seen disproportionate impact on black and brown Californians, as well as uh, keep California's prison population lower because we were uh, so high for so many years. And do we who was pushing for it? And was there any opposition to this? 
Um, this was a bill from um, Senator, Anth- uh, excuse me, Scott Weiner <laughs> from um, of San Francisco. And again, he was saying that this is something we've been seeing an effort uh, in in California for a while now because. Uh, really, it's it's trying to stop the disproportionate impact that these uh, drug laws have had on black and brown people in the state. Um, uh, so this is, is something there's always people that uh, push back on these kinds of laws because they feel like it'll you know make California less safe and things like that. But really, we this is the direction we've seen the state been going in for mm-hmm. a number of years. Yeah. In another one of these sort of criminal justice reform bills, uh, SB2 gets at sort of mandatory decertification of cops who are uh, who've done bad things. Right. Right. Yeah. SB2 um, allows California. It creates a process where police officers who have um, done certain things um, like using excessive force sexual assault, intimidating witnesses, um, things like that. There, It creates a process for which they can be investigated and ultimately lose their certification if it's deemed, you know, if they're deemed um, to have violated these rules. Uh, California was really, uh, was only one of four states that did not have a process like this. Mm. And this is something that um, advocates have been pushing for for several years, ever since really we've seen um, the protest and uh, against police excessive use of force throughout the country. Hmm. And what happens when a police officer loses their certification? They basically won't be in any police force after that. Right. Um, yes, they they are fired. Um, and there is another law that has just uh, another bill that was uh, recently signed to go along with SB2 that would make it um, – more difficult for officers to go from one department to the next because it would allow records related to these investigations to become public. You could request these. And, you know, this was something that KQED has been working on for a long time to get access to police records to stop that very issue of a police officer being fired from one department and just going down the road, you know, and getting a job at another. Uh, There are bills that have just been signed that uh, look to make that more difficult. Yes, we've seen that actually quite quite a lot. Um, uh, Let's talk about some of the bills that are kind of reformed the laws around um, sexual assault. Uh, Maybe start with AB 1171, which kind of reforms spousal rape. Right. So this is an interesting one because, of course, it it has been illegal in California to commit spousal rape where, you know, the the people involved are married. Um, But the law, as it had been standing, distinguishes rape from spousal rape, Um, Mm. meaning that if you are married and you're convicted of raping your spouse, you had a chance to um, plea bargain and and get probation instead of serving time. And this eliminates that distinction. So now all cases of rape are treated the same. There's also a a bill that's actually drawn some nationwide attention, which is AB 453, which was sort of a non-consensual condom removal during sex. Can you tell us, it's it's also called stealthing. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about how this law sort of came to be? Right. Um, This is exactly what you were saying. Um, This law is from Christina Garcia, and she's also the one that um, authored the spousal rape bill. And it would make it... um, a civil offense to remove a condom during sex without your partner's um, consent. And it it would be, that means you would be able to sue that person. So it's not a criminal 
um, charge. But again, it gives victims some recourse to um, sue if they feel like that is what they want to do. Because of course, you know, that can lead to sexually transmitted infections, pregnancy, um, without the partner's, you know, if the condom is removed without the partner's consent. Yeah. Um, Finally, in this sort of type of law, uh, SB 215 is um, another in a kind of series of rape kit reforms. Can you tell us about that one? Right. Um, This is an issue that California has been dealing with for several years, trying to address the backlog of rape kits um, in police departments across the state. This bill would um, allow victims uh, a way to track the progress of their rape kit, um, you know, to see where it is in the process of of being tested and all of that. Um, It's it's from Senator Connie Leva, who's um, authored a number of bills related to um, rape kits. Um, She had uh, uh, authored a bill that eliminates the statute of limitations on rape, um, a bill that has banned secret settlements in cases uh, of sexual assault and sexual harassment, and another bill that just requires the prompt testing of rape rape Mm -hmm. kits. So again, it's an effort to try and um, have these kits honestly be taken more seriously by police departments. It's kind of astonishing both that there needed to be a law passed for prompt testing as well as that you couldn't know where that rape kit was sort of in the process. Right. I think it's about giving victims some control and some power back in the situation. The fact that they can keep track of their evidence, you know, and make sure that it's uh, moving along in the process. And if they see it's not, possibly calling up someone and and trying to get some um, answers as to why. Yeah. So all the things we've just been talking about are bills that the uh, legislature passed and that Governor Newsom signed uh, into law. But there's both still there's two other sort of buckets of bills. One are bills are still waiting to find out what Governor Newsom's going to do. And, and there's another bucket of ones that have been vetoed. Um, one of the vetoed uh, bills was on paid family leave, which I, I found a little uh, surprising, particularly at this uh, during the pandemic. Right. Uh, This was interesting. This is AB 123 from Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. It would have increased the amount of money you get while you're on paid family leave. Right now, depending on your income, you get between 60 and 70 percent of your normal salary. And this would have bumped that up um, to between 70 and 90 percent, again, based on your income. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed the bill, saying that it would create um, significant new costs that are not accounted for in the 2021 budget, which is surprising, I think, because he has been very friendly to paid family leave in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he signed a bill that expands paid family leave from six weeks to eight weeks. He's increased the number of employers required to provide job protected leave to their employees. In his veto message, he says this is something that he wants to work with the legislature on um, to you know fix in the future. But it also comes at a time when you know the California has a record record budget surplus, so it's also um, it's an interesting time that he for him to veto it. Although it is a continuing cost, uh, so that's probably something he took into account. Interestingly, in 2019, I did some reporting that found participation in the paid family leave program is growing, but it's growing primarily among 
upper middle class men because they can afford to take the hit to their salary to take time mm -hmm. off to be with their kids. It's lower income workers just can't take the hit. So in a way, the argument against this is that it's sort of not targeting the most vulnerable people and those who are most in need, really, of this kind of paid family leave. Exactly. It's not helping out um, the, the people that it really was designed to benefit. Um, there's also still bills waiting. Um, one of the most interesting is AB 101, um, which is on ethnic uh, studies. Yeah, this is a bill that um, people, proponents have been trying to get passed for several years now. Um, this would mandate that high school seniors who graduate in the class of 2029-2030, that, that school year, they will have had to have taken a semester of ethnic studies to get their diploma. Um, this has been controversial because uh, model curriculum that the state was considering in 2019 was actually thrown out because it was widely seen as anti-Semitic. Uh, so the state has um, created some new model curriculum and that has been approved, but uh, critics of the law are still nervous because the law doesn't actually require school districts to teach the model curriculum that has been uh, approved. They can teach other ethnic studies curriculum and that has uh, people concerned that the curriculum districts do choose to teach might still have um, problems in, in terms of being anti-Semitic or derogatory or discriminatory towards other groups. Huh. So where does sort of the battle lines on this one sort of break down? Like who's, who's really behind it and, and who's opposed to it? If you look at the groups supporting and opposing it, a lot of um, school districts, education groups are in favor of uh, this, of requiring um, ethnic studies courses. But a lot of different, um, uh, like, uh, Jewish groups, uh, African-American groups, um, you know, specific groups that represent different parts of the population oppose it because, again, they're concerned that the curriculum, that districts might have a little too much freedom in choosing this curriculum and that they could get sold on something that is, again, not uh, a fair or uh, representative look at the actual subject. Yeah. Thank you for this curriculum. Katie Orr, KQED politics and government reporter. We've been getting an update about the bills on the governor's desk, the ones he signed into law, the ones that are still waiting, and the ones he's vetoed. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.